The scripture reading today is from the 17th chapter of Luke, verses 11 through 19. It can be found on page 852 in the Bibles you were handed when you came in. Before we hear God's word, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you uh, may not realize this, but for the last 15 years or so, uh, we've been living through uh, a great uh, cultural fascination, maybe obsession, with zombies. Uh, there have been more than a dozen uh, zombie-themed movies and, and TV shows, I'd say, in the last 15 years. The Walking Dead, Z Nation, I Am Legend. Uh, my hometown of Asheville, North Carolina, has an annual event that they call the Asheville Zombie Walk. Uh, it takes place on World Zombie Day. You did know that there is a World Zombie Day, right? It's in September. On this day in Asheville, hundreds of people dress up like the living dead, and they walk through the streets. In 2008, uh, during the presidential campaign, uh, vi the vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin, uh, she was scheduled to make a campaign appearance in Asheville, uh, and it happened to be on World Zombie Day on the day of this zombie walk, and she was going to speak at the Asheville Civic Center, and the organizers started to get really nervous when they thought about what the Secret Service might do when they saw 700 shambling zombies <laughs> moving towards the Civic Center. My, my personal favorite zombie show is a, a 2004 uh, French TV show uh, called Les Revenants, The Returned. Uh, I like my zombies with a little bit of class. Uh, and uh, it makes me feel better if they're subtitles. You know, the, the, the twist in this show is that the zombies don't look like zombies. 
They're, they're people who have come back from the dead. Their friends and their families are, are really excited to, to see them, you know, a little nervous about it, but they're glad that they're back. But everything looks just fine with them on the outside. Uh, it's just then later that their, their undead nature uh, begins to show. Their, their skin starts to fall off and, you know, things don't uh, appear to be all that they seem. Well, in the Bible, you know, we just heard this story of Jesus cleansing these lepers. And in the Bible, lepers were basically treated by others like zombies. Uh, lepers were people who were suffering from various kinds of disfiguring skin diseases, and they were treated as out- outcasts. They were alienated socially, uh, psychologically, spiritually. And, you know, these, these ones that we just heard in this story, they, they meet Jesus outside the village uh, because they were required to, to live in camps away from other people to keep their distance. They, they couldn't live with their families. They couldn't work. They couldn't participate in the religious life of the community. And when they were out walking on the road, they had to cry out a warning to others, unclean, unclean, uh, so that other people knew to, to stay away. But as we just heard, when, when Jesus encounters them, he heals them. In this season of Lent, we've been looking at these different healing encounters with Jesus in the Gospels. And one of the things that, that fascinates me about these uh, encounters is the way in which Jesus attends to the unique needs of each person that he meets. You know, for one uh, person, he, he touches them. For another, he, he first he speaks a message of forgiveness before the healing. Uh, for another, he makes mud and he, and he puts it on the man's eyes. In another case, he puts his fingers in, in the man's ears uh, to restore his healing. Now, Jesus never offered a, you know, a one-size-fits-all cure for people. He respects their own unique need, their own story. And in our passage today, we see something that happens several times. It's where the the healing doesn't happen right there in Jesus' presence. As they went, uh, they were healed. Uh, It's at some distance that the healing comes to them. Notice, though, that there there are three groups in this story. First, there are the, the ten lepers who are cleansed. They're the nine lepers who remain at a distance. And finally, there's the one who comes near to Jesus and returns and, and, and gives thanks. I want to look at each one of these groups because each one has something unique to teach us uh, here today, I think, this morning. First, what do we learn from the ten? Remember the scene here. Jesus is traveling on the road to Jerusalem. And as he approaches a village, ten lepers come out and they meet him and they they cry for mercy. Jesus is moved by their need and immediately he responds by telling them to go and to show themselves to the priest. According to the Torah, anyone with a skin disease who had experienced healing had to be examined by a priest uh, to confirm their cleansing, to be pronounced officially clean. And so this was Jesus' way of of promising them healing and asking them to act on that and to move to the priests. And and as they went, they were made clean, and he heals them miraculously, even at this distance. In this series, you know, we've looked at a number of these accounts of Jesus healing people, but we haven't really addressed this 
question of the, the miraculous character of these healings. I know that some of you wrestle with this, and so let me just say a few words about this question. Hasn't science proven that there's no such thing as, as miracles? You know, if this is a question that you wrestle with, know, know that I, I feel the weight of it as well. I'd, I'd love to talk with you more about it. But for now, let me just offer two things. Uh, two things that I think are important for us to consider as we, as we wrestle with that question. The first uh, thing comes from a philosopher, the philosopher Alvin Plantiga. He's considered by many to be the greatest living uh, Christian philosopher. He also has a long connection with our denomination uh, and uh, with Calvin College, so we have some special pride uh, in him here at Geneva. Last year, he was awarded the, the million dollar Templeton Prize in religion, which uh, past recipients include Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, the Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu. It, so it's, it's kind of a little bit of a big deal that he, he got this. And here's how Al Plantiga responds to this question. Hasn't science proven that there are no miracles? And the first thing he does is he tells a joke. It goes like this. There was once a a drunk outside a bar under a streetlight, bent over looking at the ground. And a, a police officer saw him there, and he came over and he said, what are you looking for? You know, can, I, can I help you? And the drunk says, well, I, I'm looking for my keys. And the police officer says, well, where did you lose them? And he says, uh, down there in that alley, over there. And the policeman says, so, so why are you looking for them here under this street light. And the drunk says, because the light's better over here. Al Plantiga goes on, and he, and he says this. He says that to, to claim that, that science disproves miracles actually goes one step further. It insists that the keys must be under the street light because the light is better there the answer must be where I am looking. But here's the point. Science does shed light on many, many things. But it has limits. It asks certain kinds of questions and not others. And if there is a God who created the world, then doesn't it make sense that he would have the power to intervene in his creation in ways that are, by definition, not repeatable in a lab. There's a second thing, however, that I think is important to consider about these miracles. Sometimes people look at these and they think that Jesus' miracles are meant to be some kind of proof of his divinity, you know, things that he was doing to show who he was. And there, there, there may be something to that, but in fact... The Gospels record that Jesus refused to perform miracles when asked to prove himself. This means that, that what is most important about these healings is not just the fact that Jesus did it, but what he's communicating through them. What he meant people to understand about his mission and his message through these healings. Earlier I said that the, the lepers are kind of like the zombies of the Bible. They, they're treated by others as if they were symbolically dead. 
cut off from others, physically, socially, spiritually. And so when Jesus comes to them and he heals them, he's doing something profound. He's bringing life to the dead. He's, he's caring for the outcasts, the, the marginalized, the rejected, and the poor. And this is true, and it's, it's good for us to remember that if we're to love as Jesus loved, as, as we were just singing, and we will do the same. That our hearts will go where Jesus' heart went. And notice, what, what moved Jesus' heart as he encountered these men? It was their cry for mercy. They came to Jesus with nothing. No boasts about what they deserved. No good works. No social capital. Absolutely nothing on their resume. Nothing but their need. Commenting on this passage, uh, Brian Chappell says, Jesus shows pity to those who have nothing to claim but desperation. This is the Christian faith in a nutshell, friends. Christianity says that we are all like these lepers. That we are the walking dead. But we're a lot more like the the zombies in that French show, The Returned, than in The Walking Dead, because we all look like we're okay on the outside. But the reality is, we're in desperate need of healing. And this passage assures us that Jesus is ready to save anyone who comes to him with nothing to claim but desperation. We sang this song last week, this old hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. This is the message for everyone, absolutely everyone. And to understand why this is the case, let's look at the remainder of this story. Because if you stop at verse 18 with just the healing of the ten, you miss something really important here. The story goes on in verses 15 to 19. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. All ten of the lepers were cleansed. But only this one that returned was made well, Jesus says. We learned something crucial here from the nine, first from the nine who stayed at a distance. Because I think these nine who didn't return, they teach us something important here about our need. About the way in which our need for healing goes much deeper than we often realize. The nine who are cleansed They've been healed of their physical suffering. They can now return to normal life with their families. They can go back to work. 
They can have normal relationships with others. Their physical, their social, their, their psychological alienation has been overcome. And yet Jesus suggests that something is still deeply wrong. We're not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was, was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Despite the, the gift of healing that they've received, they're not filled with praise and with thanks. In a way, their, their physical healing has just exposed a deeper problem, a self-centeredness to, to their soul. Do you see what this means? It means that you can receive healing. You can have your entire life in order. You can be making a contribution to the world for great good. You can even be experiencing growth But Jesus makes clear that unless you've dealt with this issue of the natural self-centeredness of the human heart, you will not be truly well. C.S. Lewis gives a great picture of this condition in his wonderful little book, uh, The Great Divorce. Uh, The the story, really a parable, is about uh, a group of people uh, in hell who get on a tour bus to heaven. And these ghosts, as they move up into heaven, they they encounter saints there who try and convince them to stay. And one of the the, uh, ghosts, this big man, now a big ghost, who's who's on the bus and and comes to heaven, he was the owner of a business in his life. And as he uh, begins to walk around in heaven, he's very surprised to discover that one of his former employees uh, who murdered a man is in heaven. And listen to this conversation that, that unfolds uh, between the big ghost and this other spirit. The big ghost says, Personally, I'd have thought you and I ought to be the other way around. That's my personal opinion. Very likely we soon shall be, said the other, if you'll stop thinking about it. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I'd gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults, far from it, but I'd done my best all my life, see? I'd done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it, and if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. It would be much better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me, and I'm only a poor man, but I've got to have my rights, same as you, see? Oh, no, it, it's not so bad as that. I haven't got my rights, or I should not be here. You will not get yours either. You'll get something far better. Never fear. That's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I always done my best, and I never done nothing wrong. And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. Who knows whether you will be? Only be happy and come with me. What do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. 
then do at once. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking, and nothing can be bought. Here's the point. You can be very bad, hurting other people, doing things that are wrong because you're totally self-centered, but you can also be very good, doing everything right, being a great success, and yet still be totally self-centered, self-righteous, and prideful. You can be clean, but not well. And both kinds of, of self-centeredness cut you off from relationship with God and other people. This, this is our greatest problem. And if, if this is the case, if, if our greatest problem is this, this, this self-centeredness, what, what can change us? This leper who returns to Jesus to give him thanks, he shows us, I think, he was a Samaritan. He was the most distant from Jesus, the most marginal of the group, but he gets it. The others were cleansed, but they remain at a distance from Jesus. The one who returns comes close. He praises God as loudly as he called out for mercy. He thanks Jesus, but not only this, he adores him. He falls on his face before him. What's happened to this Samaritan? What makes, it, makes him different than the others? It's this. He's changed, not just on the outside, but on the inside. He's grateful. And not just for the gift of, of the healing. Surely the other lepers were grateful to be healed too. He's grateful not just for the gift, he's grateful for the giver. And Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. Earlier in Luke 17, Jesus has just made one of his famous comparisons between faith and a mustard seed. Uh, in Luke 17, verse 6, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. The point is that what matters is not how much you believe, but in, in what you believe and in whom you're putting your trust. It's true that Jesus came to bring the justice that we long for in the world. He came to overcome the suffering that we experience. He promises to come one, di- one day and, and to wipe every tear from our eyes. But there's something challenging here in this story, especially for those of us who consider ourselves Christians, who may have experienced some degree of healing or who have moved from a path of self-destruction to serving others. Have we changed on the outside or on the inside? Are we convicted by the absence of gratitude and joy in our lives? Are we content with what God has given us? Or do we long to know God himself? 
If you see your need here this morning, there's really just one answer. We see it very clearly in this passage. And that's to run to Jesus. N.T. Wright has written, When we learn to read the story of Jesus and see it as the story of the love of God, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude, which is very near the heart of authentic Christian experience. Do you see the love of God in the story of Jesus? The greatest gift that he offers is not what he gives, it's himself. It's his suffering, self-sacrificial love for the ungrateful. When he allows himself to be treated like a leper, to be unjustly condemned, to be crucified outside the city. When he went to the cross, he suffered on every level, physically in pain, socially abandoned by his friends, psychologically overcome by anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane, even spiritually as he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you see that as a great act of love for you and for the world, and when you turn to Jesus and praise and thanks, it changes everything. Because you're no longer at the center of your little solar system in which everyone and and everything orbits around your needs. Your life has a new center in Jesus. This means that you, you no longer live for yourself, but for him. You're willing to follow him, even when he calls you to hard places or to make hard decisions. You're willing to honor him with everything that he has given you, all your resources. So when things go well, your work is successful, your children cooperate, you're healthy, you praise God for his good gifts, you're, you're not prideful as if these things are your rights. When someone hurts you, you're able to respond with grace and forgiveness because you know just how much grace you've received. When you suffer, you have hope because you know that God's love is for you even in the worst of circumstances. Friends, you see this table, our table for communion. What we're about to do here is far more than just a a symbolic remembrance of a meal long ago and and far away. Jesus himself has set this table for you. And he has put out the the food and the drink, his own body and, and his blood. And everything is here for the asking, and nothing can be bought. He loves you. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we see here today uh, in this story. That uh, you demand nothing from us but our need that all the fitness that you require is to know the need of you. 
to confess our need for grace, to not stand on our rights for our righteousness, our good works, but instead to open our hands and to receive uh, your grace, to receive your love, to be accepted and, and called your sons, your daughters, and to know that you delight uh, to bring us into your family. We thank you, Father, for this gospel truth, and we pray that you give us faith to believe it, to trust you with the wholeness, the whole of our lives, uh, especially in uh, those times that are dark, that are difficult, where we are challenged to trust in other things. Father, thank you that you are always ready to receive us and that you receive us now as we come to your table of grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.